0: Natasha Ryan, VP of Communications and a podcast host for Time to Head North, and I'm excited to have my colleague, Jared Van Dries on today. Jared, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Natasha. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast because I love listening and watching uh, your past episodes, so it's uh, truly my honor.
0: Thank you so much. And we're going to get into why Jared's here today, and, and I think it's going to be kind of a surprise for, for most But Jared, we met through the security sector, so if you wouldn't mind just giving people a little snippet about your background.
1: Yes, absolutely. I've been in the executive protection industry for over two decades. I've traveled to more than 80 countries. I've worked with the who's who of Hollywood entertainment, um, uh, high net worth individuals. Um, I'm the best-selling co-author of a book titled Public Figures, Private Lives. It's all about how to start fix and run protection programs for high net worth individuals and their private family offices. Um, I've written a bunch of blogs online that are kind of shit talking blogs about uh, the executive protection or security industry and why it's messed up or how it should be better and kind of poking fun at things that people don't normally poke fun at. So um, I'm kind of a professional shit talker if I had to say what my uh, passion is. Yeah, it's a little
0: bit about me. Well, that's a first. I don't think I've ever had anyone describe themselves with that title. So I welcome new titles, Jared. Awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about specifically why I'm having you on this episode. So you mentioned your ties to working in Hollywood with, with executives and people in that circle. And Jared and I spoke about, um, about a side project he has going on. And I think it's always fascinating to me from someone that came outside of this sector to come in and hear the stories of who people are behind the curtain and kind of what they went through in their lives and what led them to this road. And yours is a particularly uh, challenging story to hear. So as I've done in the past, I would like to take a moment to warn whoever's listening this is going to be heavy content with some graphic information that is not pleasant so you need to temper your expectations and know that that's it's not going to be smooth waters on this episode um but we're not going to shy away from anything hard to discuss because we want to educate and share knowledge because in in this particular scenario i would assume that part of the healing process was for you to be vulnerable enough to share your story, right? And and I want you to kind of talk about, before we launch into what inspired your story, let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish at this moment.
1: In terms of uh, this podcast or my side project?
0: The side project, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, um, for the last two and a half years, I've been working on a uh, film about my life. So it's essentially about my brother and I, um, and the, the crazy abuse that we endured uh, growing up in Alaska and being pitted against each other by our father and uh, essentially coming to terms of uh, falling back into each other's lives and figuring out that, you know, the brother relationship is really important. And, you know, how do we heal and how do we support each other and uh, what type of trauma? Uh, how, how trauma can affect people in different ways, because we've had kind of two different paths in life, and I could have easily uh, gone down a different road than I did uh, today. So that's my passion project and something that I'm working on uh, basically every waking hour outside of my normal nine-to-five job.
0: And when we are talking about the level of abuse, this is not just a you got a beating with a belt. This far exceeds that, from what I've been told. Um, so it, again, we'll launch in. But what what made you seek to do this? What made you write the screenplay? What made you start telling your story? Was there a moment where you're like, "I will no longer hold this in. I want to just share this." Like, what what forced that out?
1: You know, I think it's a number of different things. It's it's having realizing how fucked up everything was in my life and as a, a as a child that's abused you don't really realize that your life is as fucked up as it is because it's all you know that's all you've ever lived in
0: you normalize so,
1: you know I've had a lot of hard things happen in my life and I've had uh, self-reflection and I've I've been the person that has gone to years and years of therapy and I know that's not really something comfortable for you know tough guys and gals in our industry to talk about but yeah I've, I've gone to a ton of therapy i've examined my life i've examined myself and i've and i've really looked at things from from really an objective point of view and and it's like i don't give a fuck anymore about holding on to family secrets or uh pretending that there is some sort of facade of, of what the family was supposed to be or should be or any of that bullshit. So it's kind of like it is what it is. If you want to judge me on that, I don't care. And um, yeah, it's kind of soul cleansing in the sense of using a term that I don't believe in. But yes.
0: I do. Okay. So let's talk about it. So bring me through the childhood. Bring me through the, the, what you're writing about.
1: Yeah, so uh, essentially, I grew up as a first-generation American on my father's side in uh, Europe, in Alaska, and my father's from Europe. Um, and it was uh, crazy, crazy childhood. I, you know, I'll give you a, a couple of e- examples. I mean, I in the second grade, uh, the teacher made me uh, sit at a different table during lunch because I brought in a boiled rabbit skull uh, that I ate uh, in front of the second grade class because that was something normal that we ate at dinner and we cooked rabbits and butchered rabbits but my father thought it was like a funny thing that uh, he was all about the shock and the awe um, and then you don't realize in the second grade like why is this why is this weird you know when yeah. cracking the skull open and sucking the brain out and eating the tongue and all the the meat around the cheeks of this little rabbit's head and everybody has their fucking snack pack in their lunchables uh lunch yeah. and and I'm dealing with that. Um, and then, you know, just all the crazy physical abuse. We were in a, 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 a quote unquote religion, which uh, to me, all religions are cults. Uh, I don't care how big or how small you were You're raised in the Baha'i faith, which is like a weird Middle Eastern religion, you know, in the 17 or 1800s that came up with. But yet it's a bunch of white people from Wisconsin or Michigan that that tend to be part of this Iranian um, religion um in america at least and so there's six million members of this religion but it was very odd and strange and my father was like this kind of head honcho baha'i character and he would take in all these troubled youth and uh give them tough love and he was a soul healer and you know all this uh kind of propaganda Uh, and he was ended up taking advantage of these uh, kids come to find out he's a pedophile. You know, and he was super abusive. Like my therapist said, the abuse that I endured is the worst that she uh, ever heard of in her 20 year career, which I I kind of have some pride for. Like, hey, I'm number one in something. But um, all joking aside, it was really uh, it was really fucked up. It was really bad. And, you know, I think the psychology of why I protect people or why I do what I do was essentially boils down to i never felt protected growing up and so i get that dopamine hit i get that excitement i, I feel powerful i feel uh purposeful when i get to uh, protect others and that's kind of been my life path that i've gone down and it has uh, really helped me and you know i shouldn't i should be in probably jail if, if if i didn't have this purpose and that might sound silly or hokey or whatever but it's true uh you know i i deal with a lot of anger issues um, a lot of pain and and it's something that i still process i still deal with all of that shit today i mean there's not a day that i do, that i go by even being in my 40s now where i don't have some suicidal ideology and I don't know if you know the difference between suicidal ideology and being suicidal. There's kind of two different uh, things in regards to that. So being suicidal is somebody that um, thinks about suicide, is planning their suicide, has an idea of how they're going to do it. I'm not necessarily suicidal, but I think about suicide all the time. And I, I think about it in in like uh, it's a warm blanket of thinking that i won't be here anymore and i won't be on this earth anymore and i won't have to deal with the bullshit that i've dealt with and so there's a difference there but uh and i have a lovely wife and two beautiful children and all these things to live for but i still battle with it in my brain every day like i don't really want to be here I I, I I struggle with wanting to live like death is the ultimate comfort in my mind and that's something that i've had to learn and i've had to learn why and I know that this is all shit that you're not supposed to talk about, right? We're supposed to keep all this quiet and secret and not be vulnerable. But again, I don't care anymore. So I'm open about it.
0: So let me ask you this. Um, Going back, and I want to continue down this path, but going back to you said your dad tried to break you and your brother apart. What did that look like?
1: You know, it was just, it was, you know... uh, all about being tough and resilient, and pitting uh, uh, pitting us against each other. I mean, one of the uh, I'm just going to dive into it. But one of the the worst things that that happened to me, and I uh, was I wasn't really potty trained till I was ten years old, and the reason for that is because my father used to make me eat my own feces. It was like a punishment thing. Um, and he would be like well i'm doing this for your own good and my and my brother was there my older brother's four years older than me he was there and he would like cheer my father on in the sense of like yeah make this you know make him do this uh, make him eat his own shit this is gonna help him and fix him and so uh that was like the most horrible thing not only having your father do this to you but having your brother that you look up to as your hero and your protector and all those things uh you know mock you and make fun of you because you can't hold your own shit in and and encourage your father to make you eat your own shit was not the most pleasant of, of things and so it was kind of a lifetime of that kind of thing like who's tougher who's stronger um you know, you're gonna make each make each other uh, stronger by uh, mercilessly, you know, uh, hazing the shit out of each other. So that was kind of my how I grew up with my with my brother. And obviously it's, it was not a good thing.
0: You know, you you kind of mentioned when you're in that environment, the way you survive it or you don't even know you're doing it to survive as you normalize it. When did it hit you? When did you realize the gravity of how truly horrific that was? Like what age, like what was the progression and the realization of how gnarly it actually was?
1: Uh, Probably around 15 or 16, because we had, we had all these, you know, troubled youth that would come in and, and stay with us. And it would be, um, would there would be some accusations like uh, your father has been inappropriate with this young girl or whatever. And he was so good about manipulating us and getting in her head and being like, ah, you know, these are all troubled kids. They're lying or whatever. But when there's smoke, there's usually fire. And when you have, you know, many, many girls over and women over a, a, a period of time that make the accusation, it's like you can deny all fucking day long but you look in the mirror and you're like okay this kind of resonates as true and my father was so good at being like i'm doing this because i love you and i'm making you strong and all that and he just was like the master manipulator the total sociopath and so it, it, when i was 15 or 16 I, I spent some time away from the family and i i just broke down sobbing and crying and it was like he you know Like, I didn't realize the gravity used to make me eat my own shit. Like, that is horrible. Um, And then... Horrible. Horrible. I I mean, beyond. And there's no excuse for that at all whatsoever. And he's like, oh, I've apologized. And blah, blah, blah. You can't apologize for shit like that. It's like certain things that you do, you know, those are unforgivable things. And being a father was another kind of turning point for me where you think you have all this shit figured out and then... I didn't wanna have boys for the sake of, uh, I just thought my softer side would come out if I had daughters and unfortunately I had two boys. And so I had to kind of uh, really look at everything um, closely and and deal with it. And I kind of went crazy um, after being uh, a father because it was like drumming up all this old shit. And this is the abuse that I dealt with when I was three or five or six or eight And so uh, it's been tremendously hard and uh, it's not fun to look at yourself and, and be like, well, I'm fucked up because this abuse happened and it's easier just to bury shit under, you know, to sweep it under the rug, which the majority of society does. So, yeah, that's not been the case for me.
0: Who did you first decide to, I mean, as you went, I'm thinking like you have a wife, right? Mm -hmm. And I work with an organization um, that helps adults who endured child sex abuse and never dealt with it and put it Mm -hmm. under the rug. And then they have all of these problems functioning as adults. So they, uh, they do group therapy, right? But they also bring in like everyone's support staff and loved ones to help them learn how to help support. I mean, it must be challenging having a past like that and triggers and being able to have a healthy functioning relationship. I mean, this affects every facet of your life, your childhood, right? Like therapists say every behind every hurt human is a wounded child, right? That was not addressed at the time. So, I mean, what is it like to, to try to, have these healthy relationships in your life your family when you have all of this stuff going on i mean that must be incredibly difficult at times
1: yeah i mean it's challenging it's like my pulse doesn't get going uh over you know like little things and my wife i, I love her to death i met her in the fifth grade she was actually one of the catalysts of, of helping me not shit my pants anymore because we had this like beautiful little brown girl from California that moved up to Alaska. And she was like the most amazing friend and uh, wonderful human being. And it was like, I, I kind of latched onto her friendship as, as a way to kind of get me through all of this pain and suffering that I was dealing with. And I don't even think she realized or understood what everything was or uh, all the all shit I dealt with for a very long time, but she essentially saved my life. We've been married now for many years. And um, but I think she 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 truly um, saved me. But I, I struggle all the time. So um, Due to the extreme trauma and everything that I've experienced, I, I don't quite understand or relate to people that uh, don't have that a lot of the time. So like, s- there's no social norms for me. I think you can talk about everything. You can say anything. And so I have to check in my wife and and be like, is this appropriate or is or is this not okay? Uh, because I don't understand. Even at forty years old, I don't understand this because of just the the craziness of my childhood. It's like I have no issue with confrontation of any kind, whether that's physical, that's emotional, that's uh, uh, any sort of tough conversation. I can have all of those things, and so it's like I automatically assume that everybody is like me when. Uh, people are not, and there are social norms and topics that you can't discuss or things that you can't get into. And so uh, my wife has certainly had to try and, and temper me a little bit with with all of those things. And, and I'm trying to learn, but it, it's certainly been a, a challenge for me.
0: How do you think that affects your job in the security sector?
1: I think it can, it can be good and it can be bad. I mean, I've... Uh, every gift that you have is also a double-edged sword and it can be a, a curse. You know, I've done many things and traveled the world and stood next to the most powerful people in the world. And been able to do that because of my upbringing and my confidence and my aggressiveness or my, uh, not having fear, but it's also hindered me in, in, uh, in other aspects, you know, um, in the sense of maybe I said the wrong thing at the wrong time and I offended this principle or uh, nobody's ever talked to this person in this particular way. And, and I did, and then this principal doesn't like me anymore. Uh, and then on the flip side, I've had principles that love my candor and directness and straightforwardness and wild side. So, you know, teach his own, right?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, I have to ask, what happened to your dad?
1: Well, he's dead to me, um, but he's not dead yet. But he's very close. He's very, he's been bedridden for for many years, um, and the family has confronted him, and and um, and he knows what we think now. And so, uh, if there is a God, I I pray every day that he'll he'll die and be dead any minute, but. I haven't been blessed with that phone call yet.
0: There, you know, is there some sort of, you know, conflict in your, in your existence where you would like to just go do it yourself? Yes.
1: Um, and I've thought about that quite a bit. Um, you know, we, ha- you know, cause we had these, like I said, we had these kids that live with us and then it was like yeah. all this, Uh, it was all this manipulation and pressure like, okay, this new girl's coming in. This is your sister now. She's your sister. We are a family. We are one big family. And then these kids would leave for, uh, you know, uh, one reason or another, or a kid would commit suicide. And it's like, well, my sister just died, right? My uh, adopted sister just died. And so we had many of these kids come and go, and then not realize why they left. And then they'd reach out years later because they have been manipulated by my father. Like, this is your family too. Yeah. And so they'd be like, I love you. I miss you. Here's pictures from old times. And I'm like, well, what happened? Whatever happened? Well, your dad raped me when I was 13 years old. And then you're like, holy shit. And it's like, I'm not, I cannot deny that fact anymore. And it would be so easy to just say, oh well, that was a long time ago, and who knows what this woman's int- intentions are? She's in her forties now, and uh, you know it's a lie, and it's easy to do all that. It's 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 not easy to face it and say, you know, your father's a fucking piece of shit, and so you know, I had all that manipulation. Of, these are your this is your sister, this is your brother, you know, and so I think of these people still as my sisters and my brothers that had, you know, tremendous abuse, uh, happen. Um, and, and so, yeah, like I can't see him anymore because I think that I would probably kill him. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't think I could control my rage in order to, um, to not do that. and And I don't have any sort of moral issue with murder in that sense. Like, I don't think that I would be wrong in murdering my father, but society uh, certainly would think that. And I would go to prison and then my children wouldn't have a, a father locked away and my wife would be alone and, and all of that. So
0: all the things.
1: Yeah. So it's not the, it's not the crime that would stop me from doing it. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I I think about his murder all the time and think about committing his murder all the time. I'm not doing it, obviously.
0: Do you, did you ever battle internally questioning whether you had a little bit of your father in you? All the time. That must be hard.
1: It's extremely hard. I mean, I look in the mirror and I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a a son of a pedophile, you know, like what kind of sick shit was my father thinking about when he impregnated my, my mother? You know and i'm like that's who i am i'm uh, i am (laughs) the son of a of a pedophile rapist sociopath psychopath and i don't know what the difference is in sociopath or psychopath but i I think there's some differences but but i don't know He, he he ticks all the boxes that that i've seen but and so that's hard for me and it's like yeah i'm not i'm not him i never raped anybody you know, I, I don't abuse my kids. I slapped my kid one time in the face and I felt so bad uh, for doing it, but it was like a reaction. My kid like slapped me and then I like slapped him and I was like, Oh my God, like I can't, I can't do that. I I, I got to break that cycle. Um But yeah, it's hard. I, I, I struggle with it every day. It's like I have the fucking demon inside me. I am genetically made up uh, from this person, you know? So and everybody's like, oh you know you, you got to get over that um you're not him blah 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 like okay but that's who I'm from so it's it's really weird.
0: yeah. Did your dad ever face any criminal charges did he was he ever held accountable?
1: You know we had police come by different times for different things um, and he was pretty slick. with with different things like you know this one girl that recently in the last few years uh, you know came out and shared you know her 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 story of of being raped by him you know she she doesn't want to uh press charges you know she's like i have processed it i've gone through it Um, i don't need to dredge it up she actually went back to alaska and talked to him and confronted him and 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 all of she this. Did. Yeah. You know, and he, it's, you know, my father's like, oh, I've changed or I'm different or whatever. The only thing that's changed is you're bedridden. You broke your back. You can't do
0: it anymore. You can't do any anything. Yeah. But
1: he, he tries to manipulate and everything from, from, you know, his, his stunted uh, physical uh, position. Now he's still, he's still, would do all of those things and tries to manipulate even even to this day. So the answer is is no. Um, there's, you know, there was there was accusations of, uh, you know, molesting, you know, women that were there, some of them were 18. Uh, others said, you know, he kissed them inappropriately or touched them or, or whatever. And it, it wasn't it was also like, I think the Baha'i faith, uh, all the Baha'is were very worried about protecting their faith. And so it was like, let's take all the kids out, but I don't know if we should press any sort of charges or whatever. It's like, that's like cult mentality for me. So um, I wish, I wish he he saw some sort of uh, criminal charges for it, but that hasn't been the case. And what is crazy now is now that anybody asks about my father I'm pretty open about yeah I don't talk to him like why and I kind of I will explain and then people like oh my God your dad is fucking horrible he did this in 1992 or he did this in 1998 or my sister said ne- never go over to his house because he's a fucking he's a demon. Um, you know, I could never come over to your house as a kid or my, made my mom really uncomfortable. And so he was like super charming and he could get away with this, the, uh, you know, he could get away with things because he, he talked the talk. I mean, I, I remember being a, a kid and having a little sister and, you know, little kids will fight sometimes. And I remember I pushed my sister. And he beat the fuck out of me and it was like you don't you never hit women you never abuse women it was like okay like this is like i'll never do this but yet he's abusing women and girls and doing this thing and maybe it was like an internal struggle that he had in in the sense of trying to raise his kids to be different but he was so charming and so so slick and so it was like there was these people that. Would meet my father and be like, "Oh my God, he's the most amazing, wonderful, uh, special person ever." And then other people would meet him and be able to see through it and be like, "He's a fucking weasel," um, and it, it, it's just crazy. It, it's so, it's so nuts thinking about it all, Natasha. So, yeah.
0: How did you and your brother survive being pitted against each other, and how did you come back together? If you did, in fact, ever split.
1: Well, you know, it was kind of realizing how fucked up everything was in our childhood and being honest and having those conversations. And we've always been super honest with each other. Uh, And, you know, I kind of had a a ton of professional success. He's been beating his head on Hollywood's door for the last 20 years. You know, he's um, been involved in some crimes and some some things and so it was just like you know he had a lot of stuff to apologize for and i had stuff to apologize for and um, life is better when you have your brother in it with you and you can talk and you know you're not judged by a brother like you would be you know a friend that you don't know i mean he he knows where all the bodies are buried all the skeletons are
0: you know he's dealt
1: with things and so it's just we check each other like, Hey, and and are very honest. And, and it's been better having my brother in, in, in our life, uh, in in each other's lives than, than not. And I I don't know, it's just been kind of a progression of that. And so.
0: Yeah. I mean, you only you two could understand what truly went on behind closed doors and what you went through. Right. So I, I am glad you were able to reconcile and, and, do all the things. And I kind of want to talk about <clears throat> moving along to the uh, Hollywood side of this. You know, where does everything stand? You've written this screenplay about what you went through. What What's the reception you're getting? Where are you at with all of it?
1: Yeah, we got a ton of great um, reception with it. We've submitted our screenplay to like independent, uh, uh, a company called Slated that actually grades your, uh, screenplay on uh, you know like hey could, should this be made a, a movie and typically these are executives that have made movies have green lit movies and so we got a lot of positive uh, uh a lot of positive comments on that And we have we've engaged a company that is actually helping us produce this film so it's easier for them to uh, reach out to talent and directors and actors to get this thing going than. uh it just being Jared Van Vandries or, or my brother Andre Van Vandries reaching out cold calling directors and actors I actually have some representation, which has been great. So I, you know, I have a financial budget. I've got a pitch deck. I've got, you know, uh, basically everything we need, uh, a schedule, basically everything we need to get this going. And it's about getting directors attached to this, uh, to this project at this point. And so it, It's a slow process in the sense that you have to send it out to a director. You have to give them opportunity and time to read it. And so uh, I think the first director that we have approached it has uh, the material now. And so it's just a matter of waiting a couple weeks uh, or month or so to see what they think and if it resonates with them or not, because obviously the story isn't for everybody. And uh, typically, I I think people that know me or whatever were like, "Well, well, you should make a movie about all the Uh, famous people that you work with and all the missions that you've gone on and all the amazing um, stuff that you've done where your principles have been attacked and you quote unquote save the day or whatever uh, you know Hollywood-esque type story uh, it is uh, or could be but what we're writing is about our childhood all the trauma all the craziness a little bit about what I've done in in my adulthood and just kind of how it came full circle and us coming together. And, um, you know, I I have a big chip on my shoulder. And so I I had a lot of people tell me I couldn't do what I do in in this industry based on my family history, based on where I grew up and in that small town in Alaska. And so it's not the most healthy thing to, to do things to prove people wrong, but that's absolutely been the fucking jet fuel that I've used for my success. And so that's probably one of the unhealthy reasons of wanting to get this film made is to prove people wrong, but I'll take whatever uh, negative shit I can and turn it into fuel,
0: so. Why do you think people should hear your story? What do you hope they walk away from the theater? I,
1: I hope they walk away understanding that they're not alone in their own trials and tribulations. Like you never know what people are dealing with, right? You don't know. You can. You know, you work in a company with hundreds of people or thousands of people or whatever. You don't know what people are dealing with. And so I don't think that there are many people that uh, I've met that are truly honest about their own shortcomings. Like I'm not painting myself to be a fucking hero in this story. You know, I do plenty of bad shit. My brother does plenty of bad shit. We do bad shit to each other. Um, but it's a matter of being honest about it. And I think that, the world needs honesty and they're craving uh they're craving that you know it's like I, I I don't give a shit if it's bad or good or whatever. It needs to be real and I think people need that today and I don't see a lot of that out there. It's kind of this whitewash bullshit.
0: Right. This is this is where I was taking the conversation next, because I think that, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think we'd be having this conversation on a podcast that's going to be pushed out to the public. And I think that you are absolutely correct. And this is what I say from a communications perspective, right, is that we do not live in a society like we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. People want authenticity and vulnerability. They want to see it. They want to feel it. And those are the stories they're interested in hearing. And so, you know, it's interesting to me, we talk about hard subject matter, Sound of Freedom just came out, watching the reception of that, and that was done tastefully, right? So like, I wonder if, if this is like, are we ready? Are we ready to really tackle hard stuff to try to make the world truly a better place, right? So I think part of that is you have to know the evil that exists, face it, understand it's a reality to combat it, right? And protect future um, victims. Um, So I applaud you sharing. Um, I want to talk about it coming full circle because, you know, obviously there were so many people that came in and out of that home that you couldn't protect. You couldn't protect yourself. Um, So it seems natural to me that here we are, you ended up as a protector. So you talk about the jet fuel. And when you are in these moments of protecting people, I would imagine that is, that is baggage you carry with you of all the people you couldn't protect. And it makes you actually maybe a little bit better or more emotionally invested. Is that true?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, I was a kid, but I certainly, you know, took place in in my own abuse with these kids I mean I remember there's one particular kid that we had we used to tease him you know uh, mercilessly and he had like warts on his hands and so it was all about like in our in our house to be tough and strong or whatever and we like convinced this kid that he was disgusting so we cut off his uh, we cut off his warts with like uh, shears and, and and bolt cutters and then we put a knife in the fire and we burned his hands to cauterize the wound. And I mean, that—that that is like some real torture shit. And I mean, that was stuff that I I dealt with. That was normal for me. And so I feel I feel tremendous guilt for that. Like I was there's no excuse for it. Yeah, I was a, a kid or whatever, and that was the environment that we lived in. But fuck, I I should have never done that. And so this is the only way that I know to help is to help people. And I mean, I've worked with legitimate people that have threats against their life that uh, people have tried to kill them and hurt them and harm them. And it's probably a fucked up psychology thing, but it, it feels good to be the person standing in between them and danger. And I get a lot from that and uh, yeah. And, and I still battle with guilt and, and shame and things I've done in the family that I'm from and all of those things.
0: It so. sounds like you view this as your penance. And I wonder when is enough going to be enough that you completely forgive yourself or absolve yourself of the guilt and give yourself full grace. Do you think that's ever attainable for you?
1: No, I don't actually, I don't think there's something in my DNA. There's something in me, um, like I said, I, I, with that suicidal ideology, or the pain, or everything, it's like I've done hours of therapy. I've done EMDR. I, you know, I'm, I've taken medication. I, or I do take medication. I've done a lot of things to try and and deal with this. And I think it's just a matter of dealing with it every single day. You know, it's much like an addict. I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm not a. I've never done drugs or anything like that, but. I, I think it's maybe like how an alcoholic is or narcotics, somebody who's on narcotics and trying to kick it. Like it's something that they have to battle with every day, even if they're 20 years sober. And so for me, it's, you know, it's made me fearless in my life. And that's not necessarily a, a good thing because it's careless and I don't value my own life. So what does that mean about me? What does that mean about my own self-esteem? Right? It's a whole vicious cycle.
0: You know, I just, I'm sitting here and I'm moved to tears, you know, and, and fighting it back because I just can't imagine uh, that level of internal pain. And I, <clears throat> I just hope one day you're able to, you know, continue your therapy and kind of and give yourself a little more grace. Um, And I hope you do reach a day of, okay, I've done enough to combat the past. Right. And I think, you know, I I, I'm not uh,
1: punching holes in the wall anymore. I'm not breaking my hands on brick walls. I'm not burning myself like I used to burn myself or pull my hair out like I used to do when I was a, when I was a, a teenager kind of processing all these feelings and pain and and all of that. So I'm a lot better. I'm a lot better now than I think i ever been, but it's hard and it's hard being a father. It, I mean, God, it's hard because what kind of a example that i have as a father i didn't have the example that i that i that i wanted and so it's like having to unlearn these things and having to break the cycle of abuse it's a battle every day and i think i'm winning and but it's a struggle and i think that i'll always struggle with it and I i don't i don't i don't see life as you come to this euphoric peaceful state and everything is fine i mean i think there's Peaks and valleys to life, and yep. so maybe I'll have it all under control now, and uh, maybe in a couple months I won't, or whatever, and and I'll manage it as I go through the rough water. You know.
0: You know, I think the the end message that you want to achieve with your with your movie, as we've discussed, and kind of where I want to leave this, is I want to end this on a note of: here was this horrific situation you were a part of and as you said all signs should have put you down a road of complete destruction and failure mm-hmm. but you were able to rise above it you have achieved much success in your in your life you have a healthy wonderful family i i just kind of want to end this on your message of resilience to anyone that is even uh, has either gone through this is currently in a very tumultuous situation i kind of want that end message that you would like to offer hope to people that are struggling
1: yeah definitely i mean um i think one of the things that uh, has been a positive for me and i'll turn a very negative into a a positive is one of the biggest fear uh, fears that i think people have is being publicly shamed being embarrassed or ridiculed in, in, on stage or in front of a ton of people. So my whole childhood was that, publicly shamed, being from a weird family, uh, mocked, teased, all of those things. And so uh, it's my superpower now to not uh, care, like that, that your judgment towards me means nothing or anybody's judgment means nothing at this point. And so I've been very resilient in the sense that like, I don't give up. I'm super tenacious in goals and things that I want to achieve. And sometimes to my own detriment and to uh, it's certainly uh, my wife. uh, It's probably not the I'm not the easiest person to be in a relationship with, I should say.
0: No man is. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's very true. Um, But the point is, is like you can overcome whatever it is that that. That is your challenge. You just have to push through. And sometimes that's easier said than done. It's always easier said than done. But it is extremely uh, important that you just keep going. And I've always wanted to keep going. And I've always wanted to achieve what I've wanted to do, uh, even when people have said uh, that you can't do that or that's an impossible dream or a goal and uh, still... Don't let people beat you down. And seek out
0: help. Seek out help. It's okay to not be okay. We always say this, you know, I've heard this from many wonderful humans in the industry. It's okay to not be okay.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And I'm still learning. I don't have all
0: the fucking answers, right? None of us do or ever will. (laughs) Jared, I cannot thank you enough for, for sharing this with us, putting this out there. I, I can't imagine how much it takes to, to actually get to a point where you can do this. So I congratulate you on that front. Um, and we'll follow your journey. And I, you know, I hope to see this on, on the big screens and, and at the theaters. And I just wish you all the luck with this. Of course, we'll be in touch because we're colleagues, but you know, just Thank you to you yeah. for coming. Yeah,
1: definitely. Thank you. And I would say to anybody, you know, it's still a process of getting this movie made. So I yeah. don't know, it's going to take me five years or 10 years or three years or whatever, but I am, uh, I am like Sisyphus pushing that rock up the mountain. So, you know, when this gets published, if you know of anybody in the entertainment industry that can help get this thing made, please message me on LinkedIn Um, help me get this made. Uh, I'm happy to share all the screenplay, all the materials with anybody that's interested in learning more. And uh, I I really think this is going to help the world uh, if I can get this thing made. And so I'm putting everything that I can into this. So uh, if you can help me and you're listening to this, please do. I would appreciate it um, because I need help.
0: All right. Thank you. And and to all of you listening and watching, you can check out more podcast episodes on TNGdefense.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe or like button. Thank you so much. And until next time, have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you, Jared.